You're listening to an ACCA podcast. Thank you, Peter. I really, uh, it's a real pleasure and a privilege to be included in this, in, in, in part of this, um, this dialogue. Um, I feel like someone coming to a kind of a, a classic car meet or something, you kind of bring your, your own perfect example of, of the thing and, and are quite proud of, um, of collecting um, the catalogue for the show because it's been a, a receptacle for those ideas. But I thought I'd start with a, with a question in a way that drops me into this conversation, potentially because I used a term that, that was attributed to you called permanent, a permanent recession. Um, and so, so, so for me, I wanted to begin first by reflecting on that term, permanent recession, um, given its use uh, is probably why I'm, I'm here today to some degree, um, using it um, to um, create a, a capturing device for a book that I, I, I um, edited recently. As mentioned in, in my response um, to your lecture, the term was attributed to you by Professor Robert Lingard when he spoke about some of the impulses behind recession art and other strategies, the, the exhibition and potentially the, you know, the, the, the catalogue that came together as well. I found it an intriguing term uh, as it didn't shy away from a recognition of the, the stagnation of artists' working conditions. And so I just thought we could open up with a, a reflection on the term and maybe um, if we get around to it, its significance and maybe informing the exhibition uh, Recession Art. Australia is in a permanent recession, certainly for artists it is. And so that recent figures that you quote in your paper that, that um, if an Australian artist, the average income is $12,000 per annum, and the poverty line is at $26,000, or nearly $27,000. That was, those figures are from a couple of years ago, um, pre-pandemic. Australian, you know, the income of artists has fallen from that, from the the, um, Australia Council report you mentioned to the previous one, there was a drop of income. So that tells me that, um, and everybody else in the art sector is watching this stuff, that, uh, that artists are in a continuous recession. That $12,000 is always subsidised by other work. I mean, you know, so few artists are able to live off their, their um, practice in Australia on a continuous basis. Um, and so I suppose the thing I think about when when you hear those figures and when we discuss those figures is that we need to be vigilant you know, in relation to funding bodies, art museums, universities, and keep an eye on the infrastructure that is supposed to, in a way, supposed to directly have a connection to artists and in some way provide you know, that, that field of support. One of the early mentions that I found um, in my research um, to recession art appears in the footnotes for an earlier and very interesting exhibition uh, that you curated called Masterpieces out of the 70s that was presented at um, I think Monash Art Gallery in 83. And that seems to to indicate that these are not spontaneous ideas for you. These have been things that you've been kind of teasing out potentially for, for a couple of years prior to curating recession art and other strategies when you were director at the IMA. So I wonder, do you recall uh, anything about the, the Masterpieces exhibition? Yes, it can, the, those ideas um, around recession art or, or looking at artists' other activities come from, came from discussions with friends, um, Amance Tillers and, and Professor Margaret Plant, and a series of other people too. So it's this sense that, um, that uh, for example, Amance Tillers did this really interesting work. So really it was a 
an analysis of the system and uh, who's working on this large work. And so he exhibited the work at Waters Gallery for just, just a few hours and invited all the critics in, in Sydney to come and review it, which they did. And the reviews were included in the work itself. And so that sense of a, a sense of total, Peter Tyndall and Amance Tillers and others never went to art school. Um, both of them started, uh, Amance went to architecture school. And so that systems analysis relates to a slightly different area of the arts or a, a, a profession of architecture. Um, and, um, and I think that's extremely interesting. So that's where those ideas started. Um, but it's what every generation of artists do. It's the fact that they look at their circumstance and they respond to their circumstance. And so this, uh, um, but often it's, it um, isn't formulated enough, I think, um, as a way of, of moving forward. When I go back through the historical literature, so for example, I make mention of, of um, um, the Paris Salon, the you know, 18, 1850s, um, you see the art system right at the very beginning uh, with dealagories for the first time being established, with museums being established um, and methods of display which are extremely important starting to emerge. And I think that those things are really important in relation to an art practice. That knowledge of what's gone before is useful to contemporary artists because there are ways of, of uh, responding to a circumstance. Indeed. And you mentioned a couple of ways that, that both yourself and, and, and John Nixon as well had, uh, had uh, you know, t taken sort of an active approach to, to your own, to archival practices within your own practice. And, um, and so I wanted to see if we could reflect a little bit on contemporary approaches to archiving artists' ephemera and its long-term preservation, especially for someone interested in this topic, that you know, the way that you can access um, you know, well-cared-for archives is really interesting to me. You know, this is just a, perhaps an open question. Do you consider the collecting strategies of our major institutions to, to better reflect the need to collect and preserve and curate such creative material that may have existed as supplementary? Perhaps I can talk about it in another way. So, for example, with Robert Rooney's uh, gift of his conceptual artworks to the National Guard of Victoria, you know, I hope like hell that this went with um, purchase, major purchase of Robert Rooney's paintings. Um, because the problem I see, if artists, you know, if artists' incomes are so absolutely desperate, these things should be paid for. That Rooney collection is worth a lot of money and uh, it just seems to me that artists are continuously being asked to give of themselves, give their life's work. And you, around Australia, you'll see most of the museums, there are these quite substantial gifts from artists to museums, but they're not being paid for them. And uh, I, I think that talks, you know, it's part of the culture. Why are, are we expected to um, continuously provide these things, which are our labour, um, for free? It just seems to me that, uh, anyway, in the case of Rooney, I don't really know what happened. It's not, uh, I'm, you know, I'm unaware of whether there was purchases, um, but it's such an important collection. And that's a good point because it doesn't operate in the same way as, say, a, uh, a purchase of, say, a suite of, of work or a body of painting. 
and I think maybe there's a perception that it's 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 enough of a gesture from an institution simply to receive that material to protect it. Exactly. A and there's no remuneration. Artists yeah. are always compromised because they want, you know, and and they're they're suckers because they want they want their stuff to go into to museums that represents their life work. And often this happens, to, you know, at the end of their, their working life. So they're trying to um, place things. But I think it's really unfair because it's this sense that, um, you know, particularly in the case of that Rooney collection, those works, the works included in that of other artists as well, and conceptual art is a major collecting area overseas. And so it's a collection of some value. With the recession art exhibition, I didn't see it as, even though um, the works I discussed in the lecture, many of them perhaps are of ephemeral nature, but I think that the ideas behind the exhibition are not necessarily about ephemeral art. Those ideas can be, in a sense, applied to any time. Elena Filipovic, her notion of other activities, artists' other activities, which are not, and so that's it's the fugitive uh, task, which is not really defined as such, that a lot of what we do slips between these things, the various operations, you know, whether it's curatorial and administrative. And I think that those types of activities continue on from generation to generation, uh, but they do remain in that, that uh, within the realm of artistic practice. I mean, you know, in a way, the, the longevity that you, you signal in your, your talk about the you know, you, people's continual interest in the in the in the exhibition, the catalogue, the text that's produced. You know, I think it's because they're quite useful ideas. They're useful for artists. For me, um, I'm not interested in sort of dwelling on the the negative aspect of, say, recession art. It's much more about this sense of other aspects of practice and about the way that this relates to a contemporary context. And so there's a lot to be optimistic about, and I certainly am. Even though the reality for artists is grim, um, within artists' practice and within the people within the contemporary arts, generations of, of emerging or younger artists, there are really interesting things happening. Um, but I suppose my point with, with the essay is much more about this sense of of a larger understanding of the context in which they enter. And on that note, I'd like to refer to um, Joseph Devine. Um, do you know of him? No, please tell me more. Um, Devine was this English art turn of the century. It's an analysis of strategy of a dealer. And so as artists, we need to be aware of the full spectrum. Mansteller's idea of analysing the, the, the system, the system in which you work, and having, having an understanding about how the component parts come together. And so what's so interesting about this is that, um, so it's in the 20s and the 30s, and, dealing, um, and, and what Devine noticed was that there were lots of art in, in Europe um, and lots of money in America. And so what he started to do was to sell key works from, um, you know, poverty-stricken aristocracy in England and, and Europe to the Americans. And so it was this sort of tactical thing. But from that came all of these devices. Just recently, one of my friends told me they overheard a Melbourne, a Melbourne dealer um, uh, talking to a collector 
And what she said was that, uh, oh no, you're not ready for that work yet. What you need to do is buy this work and when you, you come to a deeper understanding of it, then you can buy the other work. That's a divine strategy. You know, these tactics are still being used by, by dealers in galleries. Um, is this sense of an understanding of, of, uh, of our world, of where we live. But it's not just the notion of how you paint a painting or make a sculpture. It's about the fact that you need to be mindful about the infrastructure around, that we need to remain vigilant, and that, you know, art museums, universities, funding bodies, we need to be vigilant. We need to keep an eye on them, particularly when our, our incomes are sliding so much. Um, and everybody's income in this, in this system is sliding. So it's about that sense of, um, I'm, I think now, of the, the sit-ins at the National Gallery of Victoria. And part of that, it was not only about the removal of, of Dominique de Claret's work, when you look at the points from that sit-in, it talks about the fact that artists wanted to be represented on a continuous basis. And Judy Aneer, in her lecture, she spoke about the fact the Popism show in 1983, 82, uh, from 1982 back to uh, 1975 was the last time that a major show was happened at, happened at National Gallery of Victoria. So there's this gap there of inactivity, basically, with a growing community of artists. We shouldn't tolerate that. that that um, sense of underservice, particularly for institutions that are well-staffed um, and that are, that are meant to be um, responsible to our community. I think we need to be much more active in relation to these things. There's been some wonderful precedents um, in the Australian context, particularly when the art world was much smaller. And so things like the state galleries, they used to run what were called survey shows. The first ones were actually link shows at the Art Gallery of South Australia. And so they were small exhibitions with, uh, you know, with, with, with small publications, but they were researched. So the institutions, the, the state museums are, are researching into to artists, both contemporary and historical, and preparing these research bulletins. A lot of this has disappeared. And so there were these programs of exhibitions at both Art Gallery of South Australia and Art Gallery of New South Wales, National Gallery of Victoria. And so they represented this continuous series of information uh, that in a manageable bite size. And then I also think about the influential series here at ACCA. In that case, it's um, largely in, mid-career mid orientated investigation. But there's much that's slipped away, you know, so um, with the NGV, as one of my students called them, the gatekeeper generation, that they're having shows of the gatekeeper generation at the National Gallery of Victoria. So these uh, so mid-career shows. Uh, but there's a lot more that should be done, I think. Oh, that's great. I want to thank you again, Peter, for including me in this conversation. Um, it's, uh, it's hugely invigorating for me. And I'd like to thank you too. Thank you very much.